You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, we just had a great conversation with Amy Crouch, who has co-authored a book called My TechWise Life, and she's co-authored that with her dad, Andy Crouch. And um, we had it was so great to talk to Amy about how she navigates technology as a Christian, mm. uh, as a Gen what Gen Zer, Gen mm-hmm. Z, someone in Gen Z. Um, so just kind of hearing her sort of reflect on that, kind of personally as well as theologically. And just quite practically, like, so what does that what does that look like for her? So we talked about social media. We talked about digital technology more generally. We talked about um, there's a great little part in the middle. So make sure you list, you keep mm. listening. Mm-hmm. There's a great part where we where we talk about uh, slowness. I'll let you listen to the rest of that to figure out what I, uh, where we go there. I haven't just sensed it as you said it, just slowing down. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm. It was a good conversation. And I was so thankful for her perspective and uh, being willing to also embrace technology mm-hmm. and social media and kind of, she used the language of subvert it yeah. in, in, in some of its, its methods that's, that's used in order to actually be human, mm-hmm. but still use technology well. Um, yeah. And I think oftentimes we can see those at odds. Yeah. So. Yes, I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast with Amy Crouch. You will. So Amy is a student currently at Cornell University studying linguistics and English, and basically it sounds like anything else she can fit into her schedule. She loves cooking, climbing mountains, chatting about books. She's about to enter her senior year and is excited about a pre yeah, not a pre, a post-COVID reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you haven't met her dad, Andy, he's an author, speaker, musician, uh, and he, he wrote a book called The TechWise Family, and together they co-authored this book uh, called My TechWise Life. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Amy Crouch. Enjoy. Amy, welcome to the Regent College podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. We're so glad to have you. And um, we were... We were saying before that you might be the youngest person we've ever interviewed on the Region College podcast, and we're yes. talking about technology. So that just there's something about that that just feels oh so right. So it thanks is. for your time. We really is. appreciate it. Um, so you wrote a book with your dad. I did. Uh, yep, on the the TechWise family. Um, why? Why did you write a book with your dad? And um, how did you how did you sort of begin that whole journey? Well, I think, first of all, I'm very lucky that I have a dad who I actually would enjoy writing a book with. Um, I I am just very fortunate to have a family that I love so much. But it really, um, our book started because of a book that he wrote, which Mm -hmm. was four, I think four years ago now, which is Mm -hmm. crazy, maybe even five. Mm -hmm. Um, He wrote this book called The TechWise Family. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I wrote the foreword for that and Mm -hmm. was, you know, we were all kind of involved in discussing it. Um, But that was a book that was aimed really at parents saying, you know, technology is transforming family life. Um, it's, It's entering our homes in really unusual ways. How can we find 
find a healthy way forward. Mm -hmm. And that was a great book. It's wonderful. Highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. But I think my dad and I both just felt we needed a little, we needed to keep going with this conversation Mm. because in addition to speaking to parents, we needed to be speaking to and with kids Mm -hmm. because as much as everybody's lives are being transformed by technology, I think my generation you know, we are the ones who who have, can't even imagine what life was like without it, mm-hmm. who have very little memory. I think I remember when the iPhone was introduced, but I certainly remember very little about what life was like before the iPhone. And so my dad and I, we just wanted to have the opportunity to speak to young people mm-hmm. in an honest and yeah. not a sort of, oh, go throw your phone out of a window way, but really seriously t- is taking into account both the amazing things that technology can do mm-hmm. and the way that it's really challenging us mm-hmm. and how much we need to be taking on responsibility, thoughtful responsibility as we face technology in our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I said TechWise Family at the beginning when I was talking about you. No I should problem. have said that's, like that's that's the book that's in my mind, not TechWise Life. Sorry. So TechWise Life. TechWise Life. Mm, yes. Um yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that's super helpful because it's true and it's, and as much as um you know, you want to hear what your parents think about things and if TechWise Family was kind of, <laughs> you know, presented to more to a parent kind of level, actually you sort of need it's good for us to hear people kind of like us that are navigating it, that are culturally coming from the same place to then sort of speak into that thoughtfully, you know, and kind of in a way that sort of, yeah, that kind of gets it in a different way. Right. Yeah, it's different than your parents telling you, put your phone down. That's Uh, like my phone. Yeah, so it's just a different, yeah, so it's good to to dive in. Let's, yeah, so let's dive in. You you talk about social media Mm. in your book and you partnered with Barna, and brought yes. some really incredible statistics. And one of them was that, you know, 51% of Americans ages 13 to 21 find mm-hmm. online posting and like keeping up with online posting and posting themselves exhausting. But we still do it. So one yes. in two people find <laughs> it exhausting, but we're still doing it. We're still consuming the online posting. We're still posting ourselves so I wonder why, why do you think this is? And then what, like, what's the antidote? What, how, yeah. you know, how can we help in the midst of this one another? Yeah. Well, this is a phenomenon that we saw, not just with social media, but with all kinds of ways that kind of devices are in our lives is that teens, kids and teens are very ambivalent. We both, you know, Mm. say we use devices, post frequently, even even see a lot of value in our phones and laptops, et cetera. But at the same time, we're very likely to say, I find this exhausting. I find this distracting. I don't really enjoy all the time I spend online. Mm. And I'm glad you pulled that um, that uh, number, that statistic about social media, because Mm -hmm. I think social media has this unique pressure to be constantly participating um, because of the, the social dynamics at work. And I mean, honestly, what I've seen in my peers and also as I've reflected on my own life is that. Yes, we see the downsides. Yes, we find it exhausting to keep up with everything online. 
but we really can't imagine a way of living without it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard in, in my experience for people my age to feel like there's an alternative way. Right. That, it, that, that there's a way of living that's not mediated, really. Mm. We can... We just see mediation in our lives as this kind of unavoidable part of the way things are. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are annoying things about it, but it's just not going to change. Mm. And so I honestly, I think the first step um, and so much of me writing my, my goals in writing this book were just to be able to say, no, we can live differently. Mm-hmm. Just challenging that very basic premise of that this is the only way that we can live. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step for everyone, I would almost say is imagination. Imagine what a life could look like away from this constant scrolling through the highlight reels of people you barely know Mm -hmm. um, without the pressure to be documenting your life in a purely photogenic way. Um, Mm. And then to imagine what, what could be better. Mm -hmm. So that's very general. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say some, some specific kind of ways of looking at it. Um, One of the things that I've been thinking about is that social media can be so helpful and redemptive when it comes to sharing creativity. So Mm. when I think of people who use social media well, I think of people who are sharing their beautiful work um, of poets, of, of artists of all kinds, of musicians. And that can be so encouraging to see and is such an amazing platform for for Mm. these artists to kind of gain an audience. Mm -hmm. But what I hear most of all when I hear people who say they're exhausted by social media is really that documenting personal life is what feels so challenging. Right. Because because we really, I don't think we're really meant to be constantly thinking about how our lives appear to 600, 800 followers. (laughs) And so one thing I might suggest is what would it look like for you to reframe your social media presence to focus more on experiencing people's creativity, and maybe that includes sharing your own, and somewhat less on saturating your attention with the lives of other people Hmm. in a very carefully curated way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do, it feels like, like I'm thinking about, Facebook, like Facebook is, you know, like the ones that your parents are using, right? So it's, you know, like it's, I feel like Facebook is like more and more like there, I mean, there is a bit of your, you know, your life kind of on there, but it does feel like that is moving maybe more Mm. either toward like, oh, I don't even know, like, I don't know, less personal, not that it's ever personal. I don't know. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I like the idea of using it, like kind of using your imagination to sort of think about it as a place of creativity. But I feel like they're both also being used for places of advocacy m- yeah. more and more recently, like and kind of like voicing yes. kind of places of injustice or mm-hmm. kind of allowing, you know, other people to see a different way of, you know, see a different side right. to something, which is where, then where it's important. Do you have any thoughts on following and who you should follow? Mm-hmm. On Facebook? So Like in terms of are we just saturating our news feed with, people that are like us, people who think like us, people who, you know, and then the algorithm, you know, <laughs> like then feeds us everything that's, you know, that's that's like us. I don't know. Do you have any, thought, any thoughts about that, yeah. like following and who to follow? And Yeah. Well, in some ways my answer is going to sound like a cop-out, which is I do think that everyone 
should be using people can use social media in very different ways. Yeah. Um, and the person who primarily uses social media to stay in touch with old friends is very different from the person who primarily yeah. uses it as a professional platform or an artistic right. platform. And that's also very different from someone who uses it primarily for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think... I think a general rule is I think the besetting vice of social media in some ways is envy. Yeah. And so I would really challenge people to, as you scroll through your feed, pay attention to when kind of the the envy rears its head and just press unfollow. (laughs) I mean, I think if you are consistently seeing an account or a whole set of accounts um, that are making you envious and discontented, Mm -hmm. I think that social media is very good at it. And I think that you should do your best to fight against that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And unfollow. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's good, good, good answer. Do you know what? All good conversations end with like you start a question like who to follow, and you're like, actually, it might be more like who to unfollow. <laughs> who to unfollow. This is, yeah, it's actually, uh, it's yeah. really, that's true. It's that's really, really helpful thought. Yeah, I mean, it's this idea that we are so shaped and formed by the things that we mm-hmm. allow to permeate our thoughts and minds and eyes and ears, yes. and uh, and so in some regards, like a question I have, like and maybe it gets to a little deeper question, but is technology neutral? Meaning mm. is our is our social media, is our digital technology, uh, is it neutral? And um, because in some ways we can, at the click of a button, see all our friends' feeds and all a bunch of news feed on top of that. Um, you know, one study found that due to, I think in your book, you said due to technology, over 50% of individuals were, they were more distracted, they procrastinated more, they wasted a lot of time. And so there's this reality that we have this at our fingertips at the click of a button. But I mean, is that a, is that a good thing? And are there ways even, you know, maybe the unfollowing piece, but also are there other ways that we can help like control in the midst of this limitless technology? Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear this question and this idea debated a lot of whether technology is neutral. Mm. And I think as I've been pondering, I want to draw kind of a distinction between two different ways that something can be neutral. Yeah. Um, something being morally neutral, so not being inherently good or evil oriented, and then something which maybe we could say having a neutrality of, of goals, like the the purpose or the 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 end to which something is created being somehow neutral. Mm. Um, and I think it is a more open question whether technology can be seen as morally neutral. I think that's something where there can be very legitimate debate whether technology may be inherently evil, good, prone to one or the other, but... I do think that no technology can be neutral when it comes to its goals and how it wants you to be using it. Mm. And I think this is really just because of the way that technology is a tool, like a hammer. You could say a hammer is morally neutral, like that it's not inherently good or evil, but you cannot say that a hammer was not designed with a purpose and that 
like there is a correct way and an incorrect way to use a right, hammer that right. it was created with a very specific set of goals from the designer. Yeah. And so I would say that what we most need to be aware of is the way that every piece of technology has to be inherently designed by a person with a whole set of goals for what it will accomplish and also for who you, the user, will become when mm-hmm. using it. Right. Um, and I think that's really what we we should be interrogating. Mm. So I mean, the sort of the sort of depressing example is that all of these social media platforms, as much as perhaps part of their goals might be connection and love, et cetera, like the real goal, like what the designers are deeply motivated by is um, your attention and getting your attention to stay on their product, to stay scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, and seeing ads. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we use social media platforms, and this could apply to any technology, but I'm using it as an example because we've been talking about them, we need to be attuned to the way that Even if we say that Facebook is neither good nor evil inherently, nonetheless, we need to recognize that it was designed for a very specific purpose Mm -hmm. that in its in the way that it's been kind of laid out and created, um, it is intended to be used in a very specific way. Yeah. And so I think we need to be thinking about where we can subvert those goals, Mm -hmm. where those goals are good and we should just, you know, use the platform the way they were intended to. And if it's possible that those goals are kind of overmastering and it's impossible Mm -hmm. to use a platform in in a way contrary to its goals. Mm -hmm. Does that that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, totally. It does. I I really like that idea of, yeah, the intention, like it all, it all, nothing is actually neutral, as you say. Like, I mean, not nothing. Things are neutral, but there's (laughs) like, there isn't, there's an intended use and there's an, yeah. So then, and I, yeah, that kind of idea of how do you just, sometimes you just use it how it's meant to be used. And then other times actually, yeah. You need to subvert or like, kind of think, and I think the the our, the issue comes for us as Christians, or as as humans, um, that like where are we thinking about kind of the end? Like, what's the point of this? And then, am I do, is it a point where I need to just go with it, or is there a point where I need to actually yeah. subvert and question and ask? Actually, is this should this be what I'm using this for, or um, whatever? So it's it's good to. Yeah, it's good. that's a good question to ask. Um, what about privacy? So privacy is a kind of, mm. you know, you know, big thing in the kind of social oh, media yes. and kind of just online world um, and digital technology. Like how, what are your thoughts on privacy? Is it a good thing? Mm. Is it, a, is it a, even a possible thing? Is that a place where we need to sub- – like privacy feels like more and more like it just it, – it's all out there. You, you can't actually have a – you know, mm. I don't know, thoughts on privacy. Well, uh, I think – I first of all, this is where – I, I do not feel entirely qualified to talk about you know, okay. the details of internet privacy. <laughs> um, and so when it comes to who is surveilling you and like, is Google listening to me right now? I, I am not the qualified person to answer that. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But I do think that as I've thought about this, I've really come down to something that I say in the book, which is I think that good privacy is based on trust. Yeah. And unfortunately, our devices are giving us something that looks like privacy, but is actually secrecy, Mm. um, which is almost based on anonymity rather than communities of trust. Mm. So I, I mean, 
part of growing up for me was that my parents began to trust me more when um, I spent many, many hours as, as a teenager, um, you know, doing things that my parents just didn't know about, you know, like they'd Mm. just send, I'd like go hang out with friends after school and they didn't know exactly where I was doing, but there was a trust bond between us such that they knew that I would be coming home at a certain time. They knew that I had, I, I valued our family values such that I would be choosing to do things well with my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I knew in a, I think a very healthy way that if I violated that trust, there would be consequences mm-hmm. because it, it, it's sort of a necessary, necessary right. reality. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that that kind of privacy, which you slowly gain more and more of as you become an adult and as you leave your parents kind of watchfulness, I guess, Mm -hmm. I think that is good and healthy and just part of what it is to grow up because Mm -hmm. it shows that you have internalized the the values and the kind of the care for people around you that Mm -hmm. that your family longs for. Mm -hmm. But... I think that what technology really tends to offer us is, oh, you can post this anonymously. You can whatever, mm. watch this without anybody knowing. You can it mm. offers us this just invisibility and that is not based in trust. Mm. And I think it ultimately leads to a very twisted upside down mm-hmm. kind of secrecy. Mm. And just one more thing, the mm. kind of horrible paradox here is that while we're being offered all of this secrecy, all of these like, you know, w- ways of concealing our lives from others, we are actually laying our lives open to countless, enormous corporations, terrible, bad actors, hackers. I, oh my goodness, I was, a radio program came on about um, hackers who had hacked into like home security cameras. Mm. You know, so while the online world is promising us the opportunity to keep secrets, um, it's really only giving that to us to to keep secrets from those close to us Mm. when complete strangers can have an enormous amount of access to us. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's totally true. It's kind of depressing, it's, isn't it? Oh, not depressing. Yeah. It's not depressing, but it is just kind of like, yep, no, that's true. We, we think we're, yeah. no one knows. And I right. like that you have communities of trust. I think that's mm-hmm. like, and that, that's, that's where, I think this is what you're saying. That's where privacy lives is within communities of trust. And we yeah. can't actually, we can't always trust. Like we can't trust big corporations and whatever. And so then, yeah, anyway, so what we think is private is actually not. And so, uh, yeah. But then how yeah. do you navigate that? Like so, you know, you click the like, yep, this is private. You know, I mean, like not not yeah. on the like not on a browser thing, but, you know, like I agree to your privacy policy right. or, you know, like yes. whatever. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like so what do you, yeah, yeah. What, what do you, yeah, as you say, you don't post things that have got your whole life, you know, out there. Um, Yeah. And I do think I think that everybody should be taking Internet security seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Not I you know, I often hear people say something like sort of, oh, I don't have anything to hide. I don't think that's a very good way of looking at it, really. Mm. I I I think it should more be on the principle that I do not want anybody to have kind of an unfettered access to my life, to my activity. And so, Mm. 
I mean, everyone is going to have different priorities, but I think that I think that everyone should read a basic kind of internet privacy guide mm-hmm. of turning on like you'll you can very easily find guides that tell you the you know install you know block cookie these cookies yeah, yeah. um cookie. don't <laughs> allow these um kind of passwords to be used yeah, is, yeah. is another big thing installing all this two factor authentication i think that is really important mm. and it feels like something that doesn't have much of an impact because the impact is invisible. Um, but I, I think we should all be doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This is, this is so good. Cause in some regards, I've personally deleted apps off of my mm-hmm. phone. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like I can't trust myself sometimes specifically, Ooh. specifically with YouTube. So talking about trust, you know, we have this trust that we build, oh. build with one another. And it seems like also the uh, media, I don't want to like bash technology completely. Cause I think that, and I don't think that's what you're doing at all no, in no. your book or even here. No. I think you're one of the, one of the metaphors I really liked you used is a metaphor of posture. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about how in our posture, we can just, just begin to slouch you know, without even realizing it. And I, I found my, myself the same way in, in how I use my phone and computer and how I use the internet and technology at my fingertips is that I can just continue to scroll and scroll and scroll right. and consume and consume and consume until um, it becomes really dissatisfying. And so I want to yeah. actually go into this uh, piece of actually what it means to be human Um, Because you talk about this in your book, too, specifically with social media and digital media. Um, And it was this statistic was I was like, whoa, but it makes sense that 82 percent of of individuals. And this is not just younger people. This is, I think, all participants age range talk to their friends through text message, um, which was higher than 66% being face to face. And so there's just this reality of how we're communicating more. I mean, even right now we're having a Zoom conversation mm. and it's been it's been really helpful. We can see each other's faces, but I do you wanna just speak to that of like mm. how this impacts our reality of what it actually means to be human? Yeah. Oh, well, Man, first of all, I hope we can circle back to this. I love what you said about trust in yourself yeah, and your totally. own disciplines. I I had never connected those dots, so mm. thank you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I honestly think that this is a book about what it means to be human yeah. in my own like little humble way. Truly, I was like, mm. yeah. I, I'm trying to talk about what it is to be a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am so hesitant to sort of attack the very real connections that people can form over online media and the real like gratitude that people have for the ways that technology can connect us. And I I would never want to belittle that real connection or dismiss it. Mm -hmm. But I do think we are we are three dimensional human beings mm-hmm. um and we are can, can i get a little theological oh, that, okay Do it. Um, <laughs> i i i have been pondering especially this year um just 
both what it means, first of all, that God created us as physical three-dimensional beings who eat, who sleep, who walk physically through space. Mm. Um, but also how un how slow the world that God created is. Now, there are things, I mean, on one hand, there's this incredible pace of really invisible movement that we cannot see. Like, there are billions and trillions of, like, bacteria swimming around in my body doing so much. Mm. But, hmm. like, interactions with other people move slowly, unfold slowly. Um, hmm. Experiencing na the natural world is not a sort of, you know, quick dopamine rush most of the time. And I feel like God's creation is something that sort of unveils itself in, in its splendor to us slowly and mysteriously. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that one of the many things that happens when we speak face to face is like we are experiencing that very slow, very kind of often unglamorous mm. revelation of creation. Like, I, I mean, I, oh, I reference in the book this mm. wonderful concept by Sherry Turkle, which is the seven minute rule mm. that for the first seven minutes of a conversation, you talk about very boring things. Yeah. You're just like, oh, yes, the weather looks great today. Oh, is it going mm. to snow soon? I don't know. And yet in all of that slowness and uninterestingness i might dare say somehow the splendor of god's creation works that way yeah. mm -hmm. and so all of this is to say that i think that making interaction too efficient is actually deeply stripping away some of what is most important about it mm. because i think some of kind of what is most valuable about just sitting next to somebody on a, a park bench, let's say, is in the things that we would never notice consciously, is in the small like tricks of voice and, and body language and the little, the little smiles mm. that nobody controls that really are not very exciting or surprising, mm. but nonetheless, I think are just core to the just the incredible way that god has created us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and it, yeah i really oh sorry nick i was just i've just so many things to talk about like that whole idea of the slow like friendship mm -hmm. doesn't happen like that you know mm -hmm. and like on social media it does you know so that that's like that slow but actually the story of god is a slow reveal yes like yes. it is like it takes it takes years it takes a whole nation's like the life of a nation over hundreds and hundreds of years and then the story mm. of the church and this like it's a it's a slow story mm -hmm. and transformation <gasps> is also slow you know um I've mm. forgotten the Japanese mm. theologian's name, but the three mile an hour God is the name of the book that he wrote. Oh, but that, yes, you know, that yes. God transforms us at the pace at which we can walk. And so, yeah. um, and so that whole idea that actually transformation is, is slow. The way that God works is slow. Yeah. The way that we see God's work in the world mm. is slow. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that reflection. It's good. Oh, it is such a like sacred mystery. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I was like, I do not think that this is a consequence of the fall. I mean, there are all these ways in which our world has been broken by sin, but I just find myself thinking it does not feel like mm. 
it does not feel like when God gloriously redeems us that he's going to make everything kind of mm-hmm. instant gratification. That mm-hmm. does not feel like the truth that we have received from scripture. And so I I cannot pretend to 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 forecast what the new heaven and the new earth will look like but i feel like the testimony of nature as we see it now even in this fallen world is that something about this slowness and steadiness and mm-hmm. again non-instant gratificationness mm-hmm. is part of what god delights in yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's kind of it's also a little uncontrolled too like you can't always mm-hmm. control, you know, the, the, the moment, the physical interactions, mm-hmm. the 3D interactions, you can control what you do, but in a text message, you can control, yes. you have time to think. Yes. And obviously that's not always bad to have time to think and stuff. Whereas if you call somebody or if you're interacting in person, it's a little less, less controlled. But I wonder, um, Amy, if you've found ways though, that social media and our technology has allowed us and others to be, to actually be human or to be more, Mm -hmm. more human or has it, Mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, hmm, I think the number one thing that I think of is, is, is vulnerability. Um, and social media and also most digital technologies are usually designed to make us feel less vulnerable, right. invulnerable even. But when we subvert that goal and start using our devices in a way that reinforces our common vulnerability and is honest about it, mm. I think amazing redemption can happen. Mm-hmm. I think I think of all of the support groups, for instance, that social media has facilitated, yeah. um, especially of, of, you know, those who are suffering medical, you know, med- medical trouble or, or mental concerns or just an, an event, say, say grieving mothers, you know, an event that has yeah. happened in your life. Those mm-hmm. can just provide such incredible support. Mm-hmm. I think because they are not predicated on a desire to become superhuman, but are deeply recognizing the the pain that is at the heart of, of a kind of a human struggle. Mm. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind is mm-hmm. when our devices can cause us to mm, engage with our our pain in mm. community. Mm-hmm. I think that can be really, mm-hmm. really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I would also just say, I like we can use the very powerful um, uh, kind of I don't know. I, I guess hmm, I think that when we see our devices as serving us, that opens up a lot of ways to make ourselves more human. I think especially yeah. of how helpful devices can be in habit forming. Now they can form bad habits, yeah, yeah. but also they're really good at, let's say, um, reminding me every day to, for, for instance, I actually have like a little journal reminder on my phone, reminding me every day to write in my journal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of all the apps that are created for sort of like, you know, read, one well maybe not one verse of scripture i don't mm. i don't ever do that but like a, a passage yeah. of scripture let's yeah. say every day yeah. um it, uh, or or like you know 
a reminder to call this person once a week. So I think that when we use the power of technology to reinforce good habits, mm-hmm. that is an amazing and wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and even the like, even the thing where like on I think I think it's Apple devices. I don't know if Android devices. Like at a, you can set it to say you know at ten p.m. to you know or yes. eight p.m. No, yeah. you know you know you can you know do not disturb or whatever. But as you say, there are things there. There are some things there that, that actually can help us. Yeah, if mm-hmm. we use them and if we don't say like dismiss or, you know, whatever. There are some yeah. of those things. Um, it's funny you should say, we. so this last year at Region we've had our chapel gatherings all on Zoom. And as part of that we've had people share testimonies about where is God at work in their life yeah. kind of in the last three to six months sort of testimonies. Mm. Those have been mm. very, very vulnerable in mm-hmm. the best possible mm. way. But mm. I wonder if we're in a room of 200 people whether or not that vulnerability, like, so there was whether that vulnerability would have been as forthcoming because you can see, Mm. you know, you can see all the people. So there was something about, there was, you know, there's a goodness and a badness to the kind of the, you know, the technological distance, but there was something about that that actually, I don't know, that that caused people or allowed people to be Mm. more honest. Maybe it was COVID as well. There's probably a bunch of things at play, but I was just, I was interested in that as well. Like, as you say, like those, Mm -hmm. like groups where actually we're connecting people who are, who actually can be human together and actually sort of sharing honestly. Yeah. So anyway, that was, and I wondered whether that vulnerability would have been as clear if we were all in person. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see this year. We'll give it a go. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, I like the vulnerability huh. is a good, really good point. Sorry to interrupt this wonderful conversation, but Claire Perini has something really important she'd like to share with you. Thanks, Nick. I do have something very important to say. Firstly, it's to say thank you to the number of people who listen to the podcast and they they like the podcast so much that they send us emails to let us know or little donations of cashola. Mm. So um so thank you for those who are who have been supporting the podcast, but if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been thinking oh, I wonder how Nick gets paid. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cut, Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> So if you've been listening to the podcast and you've appreciated some of the conversations that we've had, we would love you to to let Regent know by sending us an email or sending us a donation. And you can do that on the Regent College website if you go to rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-G-N-T dot net forward slash give. What a great American, North American accent. Or like some sort of weird <laughs> hybrid accent. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. And if you do give a donation, would you please tell them the podcast sent you? Thanks for listening and for your support. We hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. In the Zoom world, you're in your own comfort of your own home where you're maybe yeah. more comfortable and, and willing to share with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think on top of this, you know, now that we're talking about the whole Zoom world, because many of us have been in that in, in church and education. Uh, and maybe, Amy, you have thoughts on this too. I don't know. But just just the reality of what can we learn from even this, this time? Mm-hmm. I know you spoke to in the beginning, Amy, of like, oh, man, I really miss my college experience. But I wonder, <laughs> are there things like we can learn from even even living in our Zoom world? I guess... Yeah. Yeah. I guess one thing I think of just to get the ball rolling is Zoom has made us be quiet more and listen, mm. you know, because only 
only one person can talk in the midst of a group. And I learned this in my in my small group, I guess, even though it was difficult at times to get through. And I would much rather be in person. Only one <laughs> one person could talk and everybody had to listen. Um, mm. And I wonder even with, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but just with uh, social media too, that, yeah. that it's this cry of like, mm. I kind of want mm. to be heard in some regards. And there's people that will listen. Yeah. Can we... Is, are there things that we can learn from that, from our technology mm. in the, you know, in the 3D world, I guess? Sure. Well, I mean, I think crisis reveals, um, I, an apocalypse is an unveiling or an unhiding, um, at least etymologically. And I think that times of crisis really deeply reveal our strengths and weaknesses, the strengths and weaknesses of the tools that we're using. And so I do think that this year and this very technologically mediated existence Mm -hmm. has kind of forced us to reckon with maybe what sort of lay dormant under the surface, but that we wouldn't have bothered to think about before. I mean, I don't know. I, I paradoxically, I almost feel like because I was sitting in front of screens every single day for this, you know, past two years now, I guess, um, I was paying more attention to my body mm. and I was paying more attention to like, oh, my back hurts. Right. I should stretch, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, really I need, need to go, to for, go a for a walk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Like I, and I need to drink a water bottle, you know? Yeah. And so That's I true. feel like. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend uh. for like self-examination, sit in a Zoom call all day, but I do think that maybe all of this time on devices has helped us draw attention to our bodies mm. and our bodily existence. So mm-hmm. that's that's one thing that comes mm-hmm. to mind for yeah. me. Um I also I've been really encouraged and moved by the way that people have been kind of connecting with simple pleasures in a way. Mm, Like all of the, I feel like it was sort of a meme, right? That everyone like picked up gardening or Mm -hmm. bread baking or something. And I do really think that, yeah, we've, we've kind of, we've been able, I guess, to, remember how significant small joys can really be mm-hmm. and how special it can be to just engage in something simple with our hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So th- those are two things that come to mind for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Super. Yeah. It's beautiful. Super helpful. Um, the other thing I was thinking that you sort of talk about is kind of boredom. So mm. like, um, and so like, do you want to do you want to talk to us about boredom? So much of our kind of digital consumption is because mm-hmm. we're bored. Oh yes, <laughs> I think the problem with all of this entertainment media is that it treats boredom as a problem, mm. and I actually do not think that boredom is a problem. I think yeah. it's an opportunity. Mm. I think that you know I mentioned the seven minute rule yeah. earlier, and also the slowness, the mystery of slowness. And I think that moments of, you know, just sitting on the couch and not knowing what to do is actually almost a prerequisite for creativity. Yeah. Like 
even as I was writing this book, I mean, it's sort of, we would describe this as writer's block, not boredom. But, you know, I would be sitting, staring at a blank page, trying to think what on earth I could put on it. And that was necessary. Mm. I needed that time looking at the blank page. I would often spend like five or 10 minutes just staring at it because I almost like the word ferment. It almost feels like during those moments, something was fermenting in my brain and that I needed that time of not really having a plan to ultimately develop the the ideas, the creativity that I longed for. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I don't have... You know, I understand like you're sitting on the bus or standing in line at the grocery store. I can understand for sure the impulse to like, oh, yeah, I want to look at my phone. But I do think that we need to be regularly including boredom in our lives in, in the form of unstructured time. And it is just so magical what happens on the other side of boredom mm. when we let oh, just like. The light bulb moment yeah. that happens of, oh, I would like to make some raspberry macarons yeah. today. <laughs> or like, Whoa. oh, I've been wanting to go on this hike for so long. Like, I we I think that on the other side of boredom is wonder mm. and creativity and mm. excitement. And so I hope that we can look at boredom as really really not as something that needs to be squashed out, but as a necessary part of our lives that mm-hmm. leads to really what is most worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm, I love so that. Good. Yeah. Boredom leads to wonder. I'm, that's yes. my love. Yes. There's so many nuggets from our <laughs> conversation, but that's a good one. I'm like, I'm enjoying that. That's great. Really great. Next yeah. time I have the urge when I'm on the bus, something yeah. to reach for my phone. Wonder wonder just I look just out know the window yeah, yeah seriously yeah <laughs> amy this has been so good oh, I, I, I have had such a good time i wonder if you could just let us tell us so you said you're entering your your senior year oh yeah yeah what's do you know what's i mean what's next for, like or is that yeah. is that what next for you i mean i don't know how far mm. you think in the future i'm like a year <laughs> In advance for me. Oh, if that. well, no, yeah. This is that is the question I am asking yeah. myself. I am thinking to myself, what what is next? Yeah. Um, I mean, I am. I'm really looking forward to this year yeah. where we have at least been told that we will be back in person, and I hope yep. that that does happen. Yeah. Um, I oh, I just miss being in classrooms yeah. and sitting in libraries. Things that I wouldn't have necessarily thought I'd miss. Um, So I am really looking forward to kind of the academic side of thing. Mm. Um, I also, I mean, oh, I just have one more year with all of the amazing people that I've, the community that I've formed in college. And so I'm sort of feeling bittersweet, both like it's this beautiful opportunity to deepen those friendships, some Mm -hmm. which I've had since freshman year, but also this feels kind of like the end. Mm. Um, And beyond that... Oh, I, I, I literally, I have a to-do list and my like August to-do is think about what to do after I graduate. (laughs) But I think I, mm, what I really love is, um, helping other people along Mm. their creative path. I, Mm. that sounds like so, that's so many words. I just like to help people, uh, kind of get out of creative block. Mm. I love the feeling of like 
editing someone's piece or, you know, helping someone talk through an idea. And I would love to find some way of paying my rent that also, <laughs> like, allows me to just be present for people who are trying to create and think and do things mm. and encourage them along the way. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm feeling for now. And it is very nonspecific, mm, but I'm hoping great. that specifics will roll into place. It's yeah. beautiful. The time, of, I, my theory is always the time at which the point to the point at the point at which you sort of need to know what's next. Usually <laughs> God does make that clear. At least that's what I tell oh, people. Yeah. And I think that's I true. So. I think yeah. sometimes you, yeah, at the point at, you, at this point, maybe you don't need to know. And you know, this kind of like the next, yeah. the next chunk of time and to be able to just embrace that. So I, I trust that you, the point Claire. the point at which you need to know it becomes clear. I, I think it will. I think it does. I yeah. think that's what happens. Mm. But yeah. But Amy, it's been so great to chat with you and thank you for just giving us all these diff different thoughts and kind of helping us think, you know, practically and theologically around technology as someone oh, who actually uh, is living with it and gets it in a different way. So right. we're so grateful in a not in a different way, just in a in a real tangible kind of yeah. way. So thank you. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net. <laughs>